we are going to do something a little different this time around. It's almost Halloween. So instead of just talking about mediums, I'm going to put you right in the middle of a seance, show you a little magic and give you a little scare. So light a candle, hold hands, and begin chanting. You're about to enter the seance. Hi everyone, this is Mediums. I'm your host, Shelby Scott. Today's seance will be brought to you by medium Florence Cook, famous for her ability to materialize a fully-fledged spirit. She's one of the best to ever do it, and today, I'll show you how. But first, we need just a tiny bit of historical context. Sometime in 1870, Florence Cook started falling prey to these long, almost catatonic spells. She spent most of her time on the sofa in a daze. When her parents tried to wake her up, she was hysterical. Apparently, this wasn't unheard of for girls Florence's age. Her mother heard that seances were sometimes used as a cure. And so, Florence found her way to the Dalston Spiritualists Association in London. Very quickly, Florence became deeply connected to the spirit world. She was a gifted medium, especially when she channeled a single, specific spirit, a ghost named Katie King. And Katie wanted Florence to help her return to this plane. She wanted to walk and talk as a fully materialized spirit. So 15-year-old Florence continued training, mastering the seance cabinet. Daily Telegraph articles written by an early sitter detailed these attempts. At first, she was able to manifest only a vague face. It would appear through the curtain, unmoving and unblinking, kind of like a marionette. Creepy, but you know it's pretend. Soon, however, arms and legs appeared from behind the curtains, and eventually she could manifest the living dead. Katie King would emerge from the seance cabinet and walk around the room, conversing with the sitters. Suddenly, Florence was something of a teen celebrity. Her sittings were always booked. Patrons showered her with gifts. But of course, the higher you climb, the more others want to see you fall. Florence had her doubters, Many claimed that Katie King was nothing but Florence Cook in a different robe. And in December of 1873, one such man, William Volkman, caused quite a ruckus. During a private seance, he grabbed Katie King around the waist and threw her to the ground, wanting to prove that she and the medium were the same. Thankfully, another sitter was able to bring Katie back to the cabinet and take Mr. Volkman upstairs before anyone saw anything. Five minutes later, the cabinet was opened, and there was Florence, distressed, but still in her original restraints. While Mr. Volkman didn't prove anything one way or the other, the incident was a blemish on Florence's reputation. Her biggest patron at the time, Charles Blackburn, essentially threatened to drop her. So what's a girl to do? Quit and give up? No. 
perform cheesy public seances or become a circus trick? Definitely not. No, Florence Cook would find someone to restore her name, someone to prove that she wasn't a fraud. Enter William Crooks. And yes, I know, Cook, Crooks, <laughs> I'll do my best to help you follow along. Crooks was a respected chemist and physicist, known also for his impartial investigations into the legitimacy of other mediums. He was connected to the Society for Psychical Research, a group we're all familiar with by now. So, at Blackburn's request, Florence agreed to do private seances for Crooks and a select few friends. For six months in the spring of 1874, Crooks observed and recorded what he saw, putting Florence to the test. I bring you now our story for today. The following is our interpretation of William Crooks's letters about those seances. We've kept many of the historical details intact and added some spooky flavor. I'll be telling this story as Crooks himself. A spirit named Katie would like to make your acquaintance. We got another day of NBA action. And with FanDuel, every night is a watch party. So it's time for your FanDuel crew to make their bets. So, what's the move tonight, gang? You know that new customers who bet $5 get $200 back in bonus bets if you win. Woohoo! We're heating up, fam. Bet all the stars with all your friends and make every moment more only on FanDuel. New customers bet $5, get $200 back in bonus bets if you win. Make every moment more with FanDuel. It goes down in the field. It go down. It go down in the field. 21 plus and present in Virginia. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued is non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. See full terms at FanDuel.com slash sportsbook. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. It feels like we're all being told to go on this diet, take that supplement. Ozempic will give you depression, but you know what'll cure that? Weed. Or you could try to balance your hormones. At Science Versus, we're like... What the f*** is going on? Forget the crap online and listen to Science Versus. Just the facts. Oh, and a bunch of stupid jokes. What is a ghost's favorite fruit? Booberries. That's Science VS. New season out on Spotify soon. I am, first and foremost, a scientist. I am obligated by the laws of truth and reason. I will not touch inflammatory topics, especially when there is no scientific thought or method. I am not one to stir up controversy for controversy's sake. And I believe this is why my reputation precedes me. But when the subject of interest is a woman, young, vulnerable, and innocent, I am obligated to use my academic skills and help. If you have any doubts as to the legitimacy of Florence Cook, I believe this will be of interest. The following are my accounts.
When I first arrived at Miss Cook's family home, I understood why the profession of mediumship would have been necessary for the young lady. It was an artisan's home, just east of London. Small, plain, Mr. and Mrs. Cook greeted me with warmth, thanking me for my kindness and patronage. I told them not to worry. I was doing a great favor to my friend, Charles Blackburn, and to my own career. I explained to Mr. and Mrs. Cook that I was on the verge of a successful radiometer, had already been inducted into the Royal Society, and had isolated a very valuable substance. I pulled out a small vial of thallium I kept in my pocket. There were many who felt I was going insane for carrying such a poisonous material with me, but I knew I had control of it. After all, I had discovered it. I am normally very humble, but I hope to show you this to put you at ease. Your daughter is in good scientific hands. Our goals are the same, I said. For if I can prove the validity of spiritualism, my name shall not just be known now, but live on in history. We sat down inside by the fireplace, and Mr. and Mrs. Cook offered me a cup of tea. I took it, thanked them, and inquired as to Miss Cook's whereabouts. I was excited to meet the young lady, who had often been described to me as jubilant and lively. I hoped to take Florence back to my home in London and begin my experiments at once. They both grew nervous. Mr. Cook cleared his throat and said, Flory, as they called her, would be down soon, but that I should not expect too much out of her. The incident with Mr. Volkman had left her unwell. I said not to worry. I was sure that getting out of a house so small would do her good. For some time, we waited in the sitting room until Miss Cook emerged. She was smaller than I'd imagined, even for being so young and much quieter. It was as if solemnness had overtaken her. She said only a quick hello before she sat down and pulled her jet black hair out of her face. Her skin was pale, and she rubbed at a large blister on her neck. There was a wedding ring on her finger. I worried that there would be a problem with her husband, as the proposed arrangement had not thrilled my wife either. Newly married? I asked. Yes, she replied, as of yesterday, to Mr. Corner. I asked her if that would be a problem for her to reside at my home during the experiment. Mr. Blackburn will continue to provide funds, of course, I added. Miss Cook looked up and nodded that, yes, it would be okay. She had deep, troubled eyes, likely due to the stress of the affair with Volkman. I wanted to do a great deal for the young girl, but as to her legitimacy, I needed to begin impartially. Miss Cook wore a black velvet robe on the journey to my home and brought nothing with her but a small handbag and a red shawl. When we arrived, I gave her a short tour and my wife showed her to her room. She was with Miss Cook even as she rinsed to ensure the medium could not procure any apparatus that might aid in her deception. I offered Miss Cook a brandy before the seance, but she did not partake. Suit yourself, I said. Now, before we begin, I shall need to know the best way to view you and the spirit together. Miss Cook shook her head frantically. It's not possible. 
Miss Cook, I know no other way to prove your legitimacy, I said. These trances are very difficult, she explained. If I sensed another presence in the cabinet, it would severely affect my ability to materialize a spirit, especially if that person has the least bit of skepticism. I tried to reason with her, speaking on the scientific method, but the young girl was resolute. There was no possibility of seeing the two of them together. I would have to find another way to prove she and Katie were not the same. I will see what I can do, I said. I held up my hand. Now, shall we begin? It began raining sometime while we were setting up. We used the drawing room as a cabinet, separating it off from the main living area by a curtain. Miss Cook, in her black robe, sat in a chair and instructed me as to how to tie her. Cotton was preferred to rope, as it would be less easy to slip out of. I used old rags to affix her wrists to the chair's arms, then sealed them with wax. There was no escaping, no possible method of transforming into the apparition, as her doubters had supposed. Miss Cook asked me to tie the red shawl around her head. Absolute darkness was necessary, she said. Any light could distract her from her work. So we did, and again, checked that the restraints were tight. I left the cabinet, pulling the curtains closed behind me. We were led by a Mr. Luxmore, who had more experience in seances than I. Then myself, Mr. Luxmore, and my 14-year-old son arranged our chairs in a circle in front of the cabinet. I told Mr. Luxmore we could begin. He blew out all the candles. It was dark in the room, so dark that I could only see the shadowy outline of my son's arm and the whites of Mr. Luxmore's eyes. The rain had stopped. A small sliver of moonlight soaked through one of the windows, but I feared I would not have enough light to properly observe the spirit. I feared she would touch me, that I would feel her vapor, but not see its source. Hand in hand with angels, in the busy street, by the winter hearth fires, everywhere we meet. Though unfledged and songless, birds of paradise, heaven look at us daily, out of human eyes. A moan came from behind the curtain. I turned to Mr. Luxmore and whispered, Should I help? He hushed me, and in the faint light, I could see that he was shaking his head no. The moans continued, at first gently, but then it grew slightly louder. It was Miss Cook, I was sure of it. She sounded in pain, like a wounded animal. But still, Mr. Luxmore acted like it was all normal. He simply stared at the curtain, waiting. So... I waited too. The window shutters rattled. A cold chill swept over me and I felt for the small vial of thallium in my pocket, squeezed it in a way that made me feel safe. Everything had logic and I had reason. Everything could be understood. Suddenly, the curtain rustled. I held my breath for a long while. Until a woman's face 
appeared through the center. Pinocchio, Sleeping Beauty, The Little Mermaid. They're all iconic Disney movies. But did you know the original versions of these stories did not end with a happily ever after? Hi, I'm Alastair from Parcast, and I'm hosting a new Spotify original called Once Upon a Time. For nine weeks, we're commemorating the 120th anniversary of original Imagineer Walt Disney's birth by lifting the curtain and comparing some of your favorite Disney stories with their earliest tellings. Once Upon a Time will chart Disney's career triumphs, as well as the crushing defeats that almost ruined it all. We'll also look at what it took to bring these stories to life and why Disney's adapted versions became so memorable across generations. Follow the Spotify original from Parcast, Once Upon a Time. Listen free and exclusively on Spotify. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you can make sure your ride stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Now. Back to the story. I saw the face for only a second and heard a moan before it vanished back into the curtain. My medium is not well, a voice said. I heard yet another moan from behind the curtain. I stood up. I should be let back there to check on the medium's health, but Mr. Luxmore gave no response. I had grown impatient. How was I to carry out my scientific observations without a subject? I stood and began to insist, Miss Cook, surely. But I felt an arm press against my torso. Mr. Luxmore held me back. Give it time, he whispered. The rain had picked up again. I waited for another flap of the curtain, but still... Katie did not re-emerge. After some time, I was ready to give up and return to my brandy when... Now, would you like to know how I died? A hand emerged from the curtain, followed by an arm, a leg, and then... A full figure, clad in a glistening white robe. I could see only in shadow, but... I saw her hair was covered with a white veil. Her face was as bright as the moon. Katie bowed. I gasped, fiddling with the vial of thallium. Immediately after, I did my best to regain my composure. I was to be an observer, after all, and not get swept up in the fancies of ghosts. But the feeling in the room, it gave my body chills. The ghost crowed, Well, I suppose I could tell you the story, but I don't see any gifts. Mr. Luxmore cleared his throat. Please, here. He held out what looked like a small black box. Katie took it from him, 
opened it, and giggled. <laughs> oh, a necklace. My medium will be so happy, she said. Now, where was I? Oh, my death. At the word, I shivered yet again. Katie turned to my son and began telling him the story of her life how she was actually Annie Owen Morgan, daughter of a fabulously wealthy pirate, Henry Morgan. She had learned thievery from her father, murder from his friends. She'd killed so many men, she said. But by the age of 22, she was dead. A dreadful illness, she said. I wouldn't wish it on anyone. But heaven wouldn't take me, and I was too charming for hell. She turned to me, and finally I could see her eyes. They did not look straight at me, but through me, devoid and hollow. So, here I am, stuck in the spirit world, convincing the living to believe in me. And you? Who are you, sir? I cleared my voice and answered. Sir William Crooks, your medium's patron. I wish to see you next to her in the cabinet. Katie laughed. <laughs> oh, I'm afraid that will be very difficult. Skepticism might erode her ability to manifest me, and I will disappear. And you wouldn't want that, would you? But if you tell me you believe in me, I shook my head. I cannot do that yet. Not until I have the proper evidence. Katie stuck her hand out. Fine. Study me. I think you will find I'm far different from my medium. I told her I needed more light. I will allow it, she said. But not too bright. Those dreadful lamps give me a headache. My son fetched my phosphorus lamp. Katie spoke with Mr. Luxmore, at one point scribbling on a piece of paper. When my son returned, I lit the lamp's remaining oil and held it up. Katie stepped in front of me. I took note of her form. She was much taller than Miss Cook. Her ears were unpierced, unlike the medium's, and her neck was smooth and bare, no blisters in view. I was surprised to find how fully formed she was. I had heard of other mediums emitting only a slimy, viscous substance. But Katie was as real as the living. Can I take your hand? I asked. Why, of course, kind sir, she said, giggling. She stuck her hand out, as if expecting me to kiss it. But I did not, for it would not be professional to court a subject especially not a spirit. Instead, I took her hand and applied my fingers to her inner wrist. Her skin was soft as glass, yet warm in a way I did not expect. I counted. Her pulse was a cool and steady 75 beats per minute. I made a note to myself to check Miss Cook's following. I asked if she would take off her veil. I wanted to see her hair and compare it to Miss Cook's. Wouldn't you be so lucky, she said playfully. But I cannot. 
My hair is mine and mine alone. <coughs> oh no, my medium. She is not well. Katie was distraught. Her breath picked up heavily, and she grabbed my hand. Please help. She has fallen. I asked. But then, I will see you two together. But it was too late, for Katie took my lamp and ran behind the curtain. There was more moaning coming from the cabinet. I followed Katie in, but there was no light. Only the shadow of Miss Cook having slipped partially off the chair, her head hanging awkwardly. I lifted her back up. The red scarf still covered her eyes. I looked around, hoping to see Katie. But the spirit was gone. Miss Cook was indeed unwell. Her coughing had gotten worse, and she was cold and often shivering. After that first seance, I offered her another brandy. For the illness, I said. That time, she took it. I measured her pulse, 90 beats per minute, 15 higher than Katie's. And she could take very little of a breath, whereas Katie's lungs were sound. We continued on in these seances for quite some time. I built up a bit of a, you might say, rapport with Katie. So much so that she allowed me to take some photographs of her with artificial light. I had five cameras, each with three or four plates. All told, I had 44 negatives of Katie. Some were spoiled by developing, but a few showed Katie in her true form and how different she looked from Miss Cook. Later, I hooked Miss Cook to a device called a galvanometer to record any electrical current she gave off during the seance. If she were to break the meter by, say, unattaching herself and appearing as Katie, it would read zero. But throughout the night, the reading remained. It varied slightly, but did not disconnect. During the seance, as Katie regaled us with stories of her time in India, the reading fluctuated, as if Miss Cook was, while in the cabinet, making slight, sudden movements. Yet, she could not have swapped herself with the spirit. For me, that was evidence number two. It is my belief that Katie King is indeed as fully materialized as a living being. She is breathing, pulsing, and made entirely whole. Yet, I believe, based on the evidence I've provided thus far, that is due to Miss Cook's skill as a medium, and not any kind of body-swapping trickery, as you might believe. And I should also note one more thing before I continue on with my story. I did not see this with my own eyes, so I hesitate to give a first-hand account, but my son did. Once, he said, Katie took my lamp and brought it back into the cabinet. My son was sitting on the side. He could see through a tiny sliver of curtain. He could barely see Miss Cook. Only her form slumped on the chair. He could see the lamp moving towards the medium. But there was no one holding it. Yet I still needed one more piece of very sound evidence. The data was strong so far. I was almost a believer, and I told Miss Cook so, but she said to continue trying. She felt the opportunity to see them together was close. And she was right. 
for it happened right before my very eyes on her final night. Now, back to the story. Hand in hand with angels in the busy street, by the winter hearth fires everywhere we meet, though unfledged and songless, birds of paradise, heaven look at us daily out of human eyes. We had agreed that evening would be the medium's last in my home. For one, my wife was getting impatient with my experiments, but for two, Miss Cook's health was suffering greatly. She drank the brandy without complaint, but between drinks, she was intensely sad and coughed often. She seemed glad when I tied her for the last time, left the curtain, and sang. Gentlemen and gentlemen, Katie said, poking her head out of the curtain. I see no gifts. I believe I shall return to the cabinet. Katie flew back behind the curtain. I chuckled to myself. She had gotten playful with us over the series of seances, sometimes not appearing if we did not lavish her with roses or jewelry or fine teas. I cleared my throat and pulled a bouquet of flowers from behind my back. I had picked them for the occasion. Katie reappeared. Mr. Crooks, how kind and thoughtful of you. I shall miss you very much. She took the flowers and pressed her nose into them. I would miss her too. I had grown very fond of Katie. One day, I said, I should wish to see your hair. Katie laughed. <laughs> In death. Maybe you will. Now, will you join me as I make my rounds? She held out her arm, inviting me to take it. I slipped in and walked around the room with her as she said goodbye to each guest in turn. She handed a single rose first to Mr. Luxmore, then to my son, to my wife who'd done a great, great deal in allowing these experiments to happen. Katie gave three. I was entranced by her in a way I had never felt, like the dead had taken hold of my collar and dragged me somewhere else. I found myself reaching into my pocket for the thallium. I handed it to her. One last gift, I said. This is my most valued possession, for I was made a very important man from this substance. I would like for you to have it. Katie put her hand on her chest. Oh, me? Mr. Cooks, I'm so flattered. Now, smash it. My hand, holding the thallium, shook. I, I beg your pardon? She said it again. Smash it. You would like to help Flory, yes, and me? I looked deep into her eyes. She was serious. Well... I took a deep breath and tossed the vial onto the floor. You have my full devotion, I told her. Katie smiled, then pulled off her veil. Rich auburn ringlets fell from her head. Her tresses glistened in the moonlight. She asked for a pair of scissors and said, It was such a great pleasure interacting with you all. I don't want to say goodbye now, but I'm afraid I must. 
but you have all been so generous to me with your gifts, so I shall be generous to you. Katie held the scissors up to her hair and snipped off a ringlet. She handed it to Mr. Luxmore and snipped off a second and a third and a fourth. Finally, she snipped off the last ringlet and pulled out a blue silk ribbon from her bodice. She tied the ringlet around the stem of the rose and handed it to me. Now, would you like to join me behind the curtain? I felt as if all the wind had been knocked out of me. To see you both together? I asked. She has just enough strength left, I believe. Bring your lamp, quickly, she said, before ducking back into the curtain. I hurriedly picked up my lamp and followed Katie into the cabinet. But I saw only the medium in her black velvet dress. She had slipped off the chair and onto the floor again. She was still, so much so I had to put my hand to her chest to ensure she was still breathing. I reached for the red scarf around her head so that I could see her face. Oh, Mr. Crooks, that would be a silly thing to do. I froze. I knew that voice so well by then, so I held the lamp up. There was Katie, tall and glowing. If you remove her scarf, she will exit her trance, and I will disappear. I looked at Miss Cook's supposed body and again at Katie. Three times I did this, then three more, so I could be certain there were two distinct figures in front of me. There was a wedding ring on the medium's finger, Miss Cook's exactly, and I saw a form on her neck, something of a blister. Finally, there was the matter of the medium's hair. I felt the back of her head. It was intact. I was seeing the two of them together. Evidence number three. I will write the important papers, I told Katie, and say that without a doubt, I have scientifically proven your medium's legitimacy. Katie smiled, wider than I had seen her smile throughout the experiment. Then suddenly, she became surprised. Oh! I asked her what was the matter. There's a hole in the back of my head, she said at first, matter-of-factly. After a moment, she repeated the phrase, as if realizing something. There's a hole in my head. She bent over Miss Cook, carefully and tenderly. Flory, Flory, she said, shaking the medium. I must leave you now. Miss Cook moaned painfully. No, no, Katie, don't leave me, she said. Katie took her medium's hand and stroked her hair. Mr. Crooks will take care of you. My work here is done. Suddenly, Miss Cook broke out in sobs. The crying built, and Katie stayed with her for some time, holding her hand tightly, 
until Miss Cook was convulsing heavily on the floor. I stepped back, feeling I was bearing witness to a private moment in their relationship, yet one that made me deeply emotional. I was sad for them, but also surprised by my sadness. I did not understand it. Katie turned to me. You must replace me now, she said. She pulled me over, grabbing my hand with her other. Her skin was then clammy and wet. When she put mine in the mediums, I could feel her hand and Miss Cook's together. One was hot. One was as cold as a spirit's. I must leave now, Katie said. I asked her where she would go. To death, I suppose, she said, reaching down for my lamp. She blew out the light and told me to untie Miss Cook's scarf. I promptly did so, feeling that the fabric was soaked by the medium's tears. I looked back up. There was no other figure in the room. I stayed with Miss Cook for some time, until the crying had stopped. She spoke very little, but seemed to understand that Katie had left. I told her I would publish an entirely accurate account of what I'd seen and restore her name to the best of my abilities. Which is why I write to you today. Florence is a sweet young girl who was both blessed and cursed with these gifts. I do not believe she could deceive you even if she tried. To believe her an imposter would not just be cruel, it would be unwise. But there was one more thing. After that final seance, I returned to the sitting room, saying goodbye and thank you to Mr. Luxmore and the rest of the guests. It had felt, in many ways, like a long dream, of which I had no evidence. Yet, after the chairs were put away and the curtain brought down, I remembered my rose, my parting gift. I picked it up. The small piece of auburn hair remained. Thanks for listening to Mediums. I'm Shelby Scott, here to remind you that death is just the beginning. Mediums is a Spotify original from Parcast. It is executive produced by Max Cutler. Sound designed by Michael Langsner, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Trent Williamson, Carly Madden, and Aaron Larson. This episode of Mediums was written by Stacey Lee Nemick, with writing assistance by Abigail Cannon, fact-checking by Bennett Logan, and research by Mickey Taylor. I'm Shelby Scott. Walt Disney had a gift for storytelling that resonated with audiences. From a puppet who wanted to become a real boy to a mermaid who yearned to be part of the human world, Disney has developed relatable and unforgettable characters. Hi, it's Alastair from Parcast. Join me for Once Upon a Time, a special collection of Parcast episodes celebrating the original Imagineer himself, as well as the origins of Disney's most iconic characters and stories. 
follow the Spotify original from Parcast, Once Upon a Time, and catch new episodes Mondays free and only on Spotify.